And what if I told you that the passage in which we're going to read from this morning, I read this verse to a person who has been in church their entire life, to a preacher's daughter, uh, someone who attends church faithfully, who disciples people, who I would consider to have a tremendously high amount of Bible knowledge. And when I read the verse in which we're going to be speaking on today, she said, that's not in my Bible. And uh, that's not an insult to her, but it, it is surprising in the fact that as I read it, I had some questions as well. And certainly with all that's going on and who's saying it and the authority with which it's being said, some questions were raised. And I'll tell you, as I began to study it, I realized that this is a revolutionary truth in the Bible that most of the time, because of the difficult language in it, preachers just don't preach on it. Now, I've heard preachers preach from the story, but they tend to stop reading before we get to the verse, okay? So Luke chapter 16, verse number 9 is where we'll start. And I'll share with you the verse, and then we'll go back and read the entire parable. Verse number 9. Now, I don't have a red-letter edition Bible, uh, but do, do some of you in the audience have a red-letter edition? Uh, is verse number 9, is it red-letter? Okay, so we know that as being the words that were spoken uh, uh, by our Lord, right? Jesus Christ, as He spoke, His words were written in red in, in many Bibles. And by your testimony... Verse number 9 is that. Verse number 9 says, Jesus says, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends. Now that's not a revolutionary truth. I think friends are good. I, I think in all aspects of the Christian life, which I'm excited about next month, we'll begin discussing relationships, the importance of relationships, the value of them in your life, and the ones in which you should focus on to help you in your Christian walk. So friendships are good. Make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Now, friends and uh, unrighteous mammon, which as we all understand is, is money. Friends being made or being acquired by the use of money is a little different. Then we continue reading... That when ye fell, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Now let's look up back in verse number 1. We'll study all of this in its context. As been, has been said from this pulpit many times, a verse out of context is simply just a pretext. You make it say whatever you want when you don't read the surrounding verses. So we'll start in verse 1. We'll understand the entire parable and our Lord's teaching as he spoke on the parable. Verse number 1. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man, and there's two rich men in Luke chapter 16, just uh, for your knowledge. The second one is in a parable with Lazarus, and they wake up, one in hell and one in uh, Abraham's bosom. There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him 
and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. Now that wouldn't be crude oil. There's a very good chance that would be olive oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Now he owed a hundred. And this man has now, the steward has given him, uh, this is a blue light special, if you will. You owe a hundred, all right, give me fifty. He goes on, or I'm sorry, give me uh, uh, four, uh, fifty. Verse number seven, then said he to another, and how much owest thou? And he said, an hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write fourscore, and that's eighty. So he says, I owe a hundred measures of wheat. Okay, okay, sit down quickly, write 80 measures of wheat. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd be with us as we study this extremely difficult passage to understand. Lord, I pray that it would be taught exactly how you were teaching it to your disciples on this day. That there would be nothing taken out of context, that there would be no manipulation of Scripture to craft it to say what we want. Lord, I want the truth to be proclaimed from this pulpit today. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would enable me to do that. Lord, please help me, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, my dad is an extremely wise man. And he taught me that a wise man does not learn from his own mistakes. He learns from the mistakes of others. In fact, the Bible in the book of Proverbs teaches us that a wise man will increase in learning just from simple hearing. So the wise man doesn't fail and learn from his experience. He hears of others' experiences and increases in learning because of that. Now, I've had a few of these experiences. I'll tell you about one in which I learned a very valuable lesson. When I was in college, a a job came open for many people, and it was a, a standing outside of Walmart and requesting people, well, better to be said, bugging people, To sign petitions. Yes, it was that bad. I had several clipboards there. And for every ten signatures I got, uh, uh, I got a certain amount of money. So it was commissions-based sales. So I just told them I was giving away free ice cream cones. I'd send them to them in the mail. So they'd just write their name here. And they didn't read it too much. But uh, it was a terrible job. And I stood right by the entrance and exit of Walmart 
waiting on people to ambush them as they were just on their way to go grocery shopping or to buy something from the sporting goods store, which didn't happen often in California, by the way. But whatever they were on their way to do, I ambushed them and, would you like to sign this petition? What's it about? I don't even know, but you don't have to know either. I just need your signature. And so it was a terrible job. One day as I was standing by the door of Walmart, I heard kind of a commotion coming my way. And out of nowhere, this young, athletic man runs out of the door of Walmart. And I'm thinking, man, I must have really gotten on to him on the way in, and he didn't want to be gotten on the way out. Come to find out, this athletic young man was carrying something. Carrying something that he did not technically legally purchase. I think it's called shoplifting. What this young man did not realize is that the first door opens on time. But the second does not. So as he gathered up his head of steam, I can see him now, you know, like at the, at the produce aisle, you know, like in his, uh, uh, you know, racing blocks, he's getting ready. I mean, he's got his iPod or whatever he's about to technically not legally purchase. We, we won't call it what it is, but, and he's ready, man, and he's going to go. And he gets a head start like he's shot out of the blocks at the Olympics, man. He comes to that first door and it opens, but he finds a problem when he arrives to the second door. He's just running in place as he's waiting on it to open. And while he's waiting on this door to open, you know what that gave the employees of Walmart time to do? Catch him. And right there in the crosswalk of the, the main drive of Walmart, I watch as a Walmart employee perfectly formed tackles like the Seattle Seahawks, this young man in the driveway trying to not legally purchase something. You know what I learned that day? If you're going to steal, be smart. <laughs> I mean, I don't recommend not legally purchasing something, but if you're going to do it, plan it out a little bit better than that. You see, we can learn from foolish people and, and their decisions. And today in Scripture, we find a very foolish person. But towards the end... His Lord commends him for incredible wisdom. So just like with every foolish person, there are some things we can learn not what we should not do. But in this passage, there's something that we should do. Let's take a look at it, if you will. Number one, I want to introduce to you the rumor that was going around. The rumor. Now, we could call this the principle of social responsibility in the Bible. You see, verse number 1 tells us, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. Now this steward oftentimes was a servant or a slave in Bible times. And his responsibility, most of the time this person was an educated person, his responsibility was to oversee the goods of the household. If you want a, a biblical equivalent to this, it would have been what Joseph was to Potiphar. 
Potiphar was obviously the wealthy man, but Joseph oversaw all that was in his household. This is the same situation. There's a rich man with a steward who oversees his entire uh, entire household. The Bible says this certain rich man had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Verse number 2 the uh, rich man approaches this uh, steward and says, How is it that I hear this of thee? He's basically saying, Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? See, I oftentimes hear Christians say things like, Well, once I've given my tithe, and once I've given my offering... The Lord really doesn't care what I do with my money. But did you know that there are a group of people that watch closely the way in which you use your money? It was not the rich man who saw the waste. It was others around the rich man's steward. And they reported to the rich man, Hey, I I don't think he's using your wealth in the way that you would want him to use it. You see, we have a social responsibility for everyone around us that they would see how a Christian lives. That they would see that a Christian doesn't use coarse language or vulgar language. That they would see how a Christian home ought to look. Not one in anger and not one that's always combative and yelling, but one that is peaceful where the father and the mother get along and they raise their children with great harmony. That's what we ought to show the world. But did you know when it comes to your money, they also watch on what you do with that? They watch the type of things you spend your money on. They watch how frugal you are or how wasteful you are. This speaks of our daily practice. You see... You can't say that God doesn't care what you do with your money after you've given Him His, because it's all His. And God does care what you do with your money. Notice, the term is, He's just being wasteful. He's just being wasteful with your hard-earned money. He's just frivolously spending it. This term, wasteful, uh, uh, speaks of falling through the cracks. And I'll tell you this, and this is just practical teaching, and you say, well, you're 27 years old, what type of advice could you give me? Probably not a lot, but I'll tell you this. In America, by and large, people have no idea where their money's going. They make more money per capita than any country in the world, and yet we complain more than anyone about not having money to do things. And it's not that our groceries or our expenditures are higher, it's that we simply are not disciplined enough to keep track of where our money is going. And just from a real-world perspective... This is not biblical teaching, this is practical teaching. A Christian ought to know financial terms. You ought to know what credit is. You ought to know what interest is. 
You ought to know what principle is and how it applies to a loan. You ought to know what the term amateurization schedule means, because once you see one of them, it's quite revolutionary. (laughs) You see, it's not just so simple. I... Just this week, I was dealing with a cell phone company, and the way in which they are forcing us to buy our cell phones now, it is folly. It is ludicrous that they have got us so dependent upon these devices that now we go in debt every time we get a new one. Look, I'm not here financial piecing you to death, because I do not agree with everything in it, but I do agree, agree with a lot in it. And let me say this. You as a Christian have a responsibility as a steward of God's money to know where it is going. We are overseers of all that God has given us. This, uh, the Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand or a neglectful hand. The way in which you can quickly route yourself to, to poverty is being neglectful with what God has already given you. You say, Brother Andrew, there's no way God can care that much about what I do with my money. Well, I know that the Bible tells us we will give an account to God of every idle word we speak. So I would have to say that probably the way in which we manage one of the most influential assets in this world would probably be put on account that day as well. You see, we have a social responsibility. Whether you like it or not, Christian, people are watching the way in which you use your money. It speaks of our daily practice. This secondly speaks of our dealing practice. Now, I'm not going to alter Scripture, because if you read commentaries, if you listen to sermons, this passage, more than probably any I have ever studied, People just interject what they want to interject. Great men, whom I respect greatly, just say, well, there's a chance that this could be happening, and then they teach it as fact. See, some suppose that this man was a great landholder, and this, uh, uh, the steward had put his portion above and beyond what this, the uh, rich man was calling for. So when he approaches these people and says, Hey, uh, uh, give your money to my Lord, he was taking away his portion. Look, I don't know if y'all know this or not. That's just not in the Bible. And I'm not here to tell you, you know, what could have possibly been the practice of that day. But I'm here to tell you, in a real sense, this man's crooked practices with people had caused some people to come to the rich man and say, Something's not right. Let me ask you a question. How do you deal with people when money is involved? Because it's very easy to deal with people. But there's something about when you get money involved, it changes everything. I remember when I had just come on staff full-time at the church, I, I, uh, you know, I was, knew everything coming out of Bible college. Four years of college taught me everything I needed to know about the ministry. And so... I knew everything. And uh, I remember one specific evening, and I won't get into the details too much, I almost lost one of the most valuable relationships I have in this church over $27. And it was my fault. 
And I look back on that day with such regret on the way that I acted, but I realized something. When money gets involved, it changes the way you deal with people. You see, if you're a contractor in the church, you deal with people in large sums of money. How do you handle that? How do you honestly, with integrity, handle these situations? Because I believe you ought to have integrity when, the, when it's the most difficult time to have integrity. And oftentimes that's when money is involved. How do you deal with people when you're dealing with money? I like this quote someone said, before, bar- before borrowing money from a friend, find out which one you need the most. That's right. Because if you value the relationship more than you value the loan, don't take the loan. Amen. Right. What we do is we, we think that we underestimate the power and the draw of money. And then when it gets thrown into maybe a heated argument, it's like throwing kerosene on a flame. We have to be careful in the way that we deal with people when it comes to money. And specifically, those that are not our brothers. Those that are not brethren in Christ. We have to worry about the way in which we handle money in front of them. You know what Peter says? Keep your conversation honest among the Gentiles. That's not conversation like your talk. That's the manner in which you live. Keep your lifestyle honest with integrity among them. That when they speak evil of you, they will still have to admit one day that you walked with God. It's 1 Peter 2.12 Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. It speaks of our daily practice and our dealing practice. You see, we have a social responsibility to those that are around us to manage our money the way God wants us to manage it. Secondly, I want you to notice the reality of the passage. This is the principle of a surprise review. Now, something takes place in the passage, and this steward has built up his life, and he's gotten real cozy with everything, the, his job and the, the certain uh, social status that it gave him. And it all comes crashing down as this rumor gets floated to the boss. And the boss comes to him in verse 2 and says, How is it that I hear this of thee? Have y'all ever gone to class and you sit down in your desk and you, you have that little time before the bell rings of talking and you're just, you're just hanging out with all your classmates. The bell rings and your teacher says something like, all right, everybody, put your books and your, your papers under your desk. Just You need one pencil. We're going to have a pop quiz today. How many of y'all remember the feeling that went through your heart? You know, in high school, I was just like, nah, it's not that big a deal, I can handle it. In college, when this happened, it was a whole different story. Because I was dating Amy, I didn't study at all. So it was like, man, I don't know what to do here. But I remember those feelings when the teacher would announce a pop quiz. That's what takes place here. The boss, the rich man, comes to the steward and says... How is it that I hear that you've been wasteful with my money? And he goes on to say in verse number 2, Give an account for thy stewardship. You see, 
Two things we learn about the boss. He has the authority to research at any time he wants. He can come up to you and say, hey, tell me about this. I want to see the books. A few years ago, we had an audit at the church. And man, I remember the stress that that caused our financial office. Thankfully, uh, because of their hard work and probably a little fabrication here and there. But uh, we passed that thing. Praise the Lord. But the boss looks at this man and says, I want to see the books. And this man, uh, uh, and I don't know what his thought process was before this day. You see, maybe he thought, I'll never have to actually give an account for what I do with his money. Obviously, we know that's probably not a wise thought process, but remember, he's a fool. And maybe he thought, oh, this will just keep happening. I'll get to live in comfort all the days of my life. I don't know what he thought. Maybe he thought, you know, I'm wasting so little that it probably isn't even that noticeable. I don't know what he thought. But I know this. We learn from the passage that any time the boss wants to come see the books, he has the authority to do so. Did you know the Lord sees every single way in which you handle your money? He sees when you're being wasteful. He sees when you're being practical. He sees when you're being disciplined. Did you know it is healthy sometimes to hear the word no? Sometimes when you go to the car lot and that salesman's putting all the pressure, don't you love car salesmen? I tell you, they are some good folks. They've always been so kind to me. I've, they've just been so friendly. They usually give me their phone number after the first date. It's wonderful. They come up to you. They're putting all this pressure. Did you know sometimes it's good to just say, you know what? I don't need the ultra deluxe, supreme, platinum, chrome, gold, platinum, whatever edition. Maybe I should get the one where you have to do a little cranky cranky on the windows. Miss Kristen Dyer, you don't like the cranky cranky? For some reason, you guys think I don't watch y'all when I preach. You can't just be like, no, sir! (laughs) You see, it's good for us to hear no sometimes. And this man had just never told himself no. The Lord knows when you have the discipline to say, you know what? If I spent this $5,000, I don't know, at church or, or giving to the Lord, I wonder if it would be better utilized than me getting a big screen that tells me where to go and yet it's always wrong because they never update the technology. Maybe that would be beneficial. The Lord sees. And the boss has the authority to look at the books. He also has the authority to remove you from your position. Don't overlook this in the passage. Verse number 2, Give an account for thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. Many commentators, as I read on this passage, they believe that this was an educated man who sold himself into slavery to this particular rich man so that he could have social standing and the position in which he held. This would have been a great position. The overseer of all the assets of a rich man's home. This was a great job. 
And there's many that believe he sold himself into slavery to get this position. And you notice what I find really sad about the passage is he lost everything he had ever hoped for. Neglectful, wasteful management of all that his Lord has, had given him. He lost all that he had come so accustomed to having. See, there's a, another parable in the Bible. It tells of a man traveling to a far country. and He doesn't just want to freeze his bank accounts. And so he looks at three of his servants and he says, I'm going to give these servants money according to their ability. Don't miss that. You see, the Lord was wise enough to know who could handle what amounts. He gives to one of his servants five. He gives to another one of his servants two. And he gives to his last servant one. He goes to the far country. They get busy doing what they're going to do with the money. The guy with the five invests the money. The guy with the two invests the money. The guy with the one digs it and buries it into the earth. The Bible tells us, and after a long time, you see, they could have got casual with the way they handled their money after a long time, but they didn't. They stayed disciplined, or two of them did at least. The Lord returns and He says, Now give me an account of the money which I left you with. The one says, Lord, you gave me five talents. I, I invested them and now I give you yours plus your usury, your interest. I give you five plus five. And the Lord is pleased. Same thing with the two. Uh, uh, I give you yours plus extra. But the man with one says, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man. I knew that you, you reap where you don't even sow. You are so good at investing. I was afraid that if I didn't do it like you could do it, uh, then, then I would be in trouble. And the Lord looks at him and says, Okay, I'm going to take your talent from you. Notice this. I'll take your talent from you and give it to the one with, with five talents because he did what I wanted him to do. Notice, the Lord has the authority to do that. I was watching a video the other day. One of our members forwarded me a video of uh, Jimmy Clower. If you want me to watch a video, tell me there's a little... Hu or Jerry Clower. Uh, you want me to watch a video? I'll tell you what. If it's funny, I'll watch it. And clean. I might want to preface that. Oh, Jerry Clower, it's a, a comedy special, but it's not really focused on his comedy. It's uh, a, about his relationship with the Lord and the Lord blessing him. And he, he does this and it's a wonderful thing. At one point, he tells a story of a lady who calls him in or calls in as he's on a radio show. And she said, Mr. Clower, I read your book. And he says, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I see that you're a storehouse tither. And Mr. Clower uh, publicly announced that. He advertised it and encouraged it for everybody that heard him uh, uh, do his uh, comedy. She, he said, well, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, Mr. Clower, if I had as much money as you, I could tithe as well. On the radio show, Jerry Clower says to the woman, Ma'am, I was tithing when I was a fertilizer salesman in Hasburg, Mississippi. And he says, I owed everybody in the county money, and if I had missed one paycheck, I'd have ended up in the penitentiary. And then he goes on to say, 
The reason that God has given me much is because I was faithful in the little that I had. And the reason you don't have anything is because you're not being faithful with what you have now. Well, that's a Bible principle. Is the fact that God will bless you when you are faithful with a little, but notice He can take away when you are not faithful with what you have. The reality is the boss has the authority. And if God thinks that you're not being a good manager, you may find yourself struggling in this life. The rumor we studied first. The reality we studied secondly. Thirdly, the resourcefulness. This is the principle of supreme recommendation. Look here in verse number 8. After this man, just to recap the story, this man is removed from his position of stewardship because of his unwise ways in handling the Lord's money. He approaches the men who owe his Lord money, and notice, this is how wasteful he was. He goes to say, Brother John here, you owe the Lord money, and he says, how much money do you owe my Lord? Notice, he didn't know himself. Couldn't keep track of his finances. He goes to this guy and says, how much do you owe my Lord? Okay, you owe him a hundred measures of oil. Okay, good. Uh, you write 50. He goes to another. You owe him a hundred measures of wheat. Okay, good. You, you write in 80. And he makes all these deals. And you would think from the Lord's perspective, that him cutting discounts with everybody would not be what he wanted, because he was owed that money. And yet, in the passage, we come to where the Lord, not the capital L, but the lowercase l, his master, the rich man, recommends his actions. Look, verse number 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward. Now, notice, he is still unjust in verse 8. He has been crooked in his money management policy. He has not been honest before his Lord. He has not walked with integrity. And he is still unjust in verse 8. He is not promoting the fact that he was uh, a cunning. He is not promoting the fact that he did not know where all the money was. He is promoting the fact that he was wise enough to foresee the end of what he currently had. Notice, verse number 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. First of all, he was wise because he foresaw the temporality of money. Look in verse number uh, 9. The Bible says, make, friend, uh, make to yourselves friends of mammon of unrighteousness. Now, mammon of unrighteousness being money. That when ye fail. That word fail there means to depart. Technically, it means to die. So, what our Lord is teaching here through this man's failure and cunning towards the end is that he saw his current state of affairs was coming to an end. His ruler, the rich man, was going to move him away from the position of stewardship. So he starts to make friends for the future. You see, he's not 
recommending his dishonest practices. He's recommending the fact that he was preparing for the future. It's a hard thing when our Lord calls the children of this world smarter than us. But he says, notice the language, the children of this world are in their generation wiser. What's their generation? You see, a child that does not know our Lord as their Savior, the only hope they have is in this life. Their pleasurable circumstances are now. Their generation is now. And he says they invest their money, they're wise with their practices, and they spend their money on them now for their pleasure now. They're smart, smarter than the children of light for their generation. Well, what's our generation? You see, our hope is not here. My hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. One day He's going to be there with a crown to greet me, welcome me into the pearly gates of heaven. I'm so excited for that day. You see, our generation is not here. Our generation is there. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, that they're wiser in the sense they use their money when they can and how they can for what they can. But you ought to use your money wiser for the future. The, the wisdom in this man is that he was preparing for when his current circumstance would, circumstances would end and his future circumstances would begin. He was able to see that money will not always be there. It will be temporary and fleeting. He took less money so that his comfort in the future would be able to be uh, okay. He would be taken care of. There's a man in the Bible, I want you to take your Bible to Luke chapter 12, should just be a few pages before. Luke chapter 12, we'll learn about this principle of the temporality of money. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, the Bible says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, notice this. This is is a really important truth to this parable. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. You see, the lack of wisdom in this man's life was not inactivity. He was willing to build bigger barns. He was willing to work the harvest so that he could have more stored up. The the lack of wisdom is found in verse number 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, which you know you got problems if you're talking to yourself, just so you know. He's talking within himself and now he's talking to himself. That's not a good place to be. I will say to my soul, soul. Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, he wasn't retiring. He was actually going to work. He was going to build barns. He was going to bring in the harvest. But he was considering his life for the future. He was saying, I'm going to be taken care of for the future. 
And the Lord says this in verse number 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. The foolishness of this man was that, not that he wasn't willing to work, no, It's that he had been blessed so much, he said, I can just waste it right here. I can just just live off what I have here. I don't have to keep preparing for the future. The future will never come because I'm taken care of in the future. The, The lack of wisdom in his life is his lack of foresight. See, our Lord is telling us through this other parable that we are to be preparing for the future. Christian, you ought not live your life as if your last day will be here. You ought to live your life like it will be there. Wisely foresee the temporality of money. And then finally, and we're done, wisely focus your assets for eternal gain. Verse number 9, back in Luke chapter 16. We cover the most difficult verse probably that I've ever had to study, probably that I've ever had to preach on. Verse number 9, it is so intimidating and the fact that it seems almost hypocritical. It seems almost strange for our Lord to be saying these words. And He says in verse 9, And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of mammon of unrighteousness. Now, a way that you could say that is... Make yourselves friends with money. They don't have money. You use your money to acquire their friendship. And you sit there and you just ponder and you think, what in the world? Notice this in verse number 9. The entire context of the passage is teaching future foresight. Wisdom to be able to look forward and not in this current day. And he says that when ye fail or die they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Well, certainly this world is not an everlasting habitation. This is just a temporary thing. What is man but a vapor? This is not our eternal home. What is the Bible saying? Jesus is saying with no doubt in my mind, He's saying this, use your money to secure eternal relationships. So that when you get to heaven, they'll welcome you there. Now that doesn't sound out of the ordinary for our Lord to say. Invest your money so that you may impact people for eternity. So that when you arrive in eternity, they might be there to greet you. I remember going to, in high school, taking a field trip to Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. There's a place there where our soldiers were coming back from the war in Iraq and they would come out and hundreds and hundreds of people would be there to welcome them. They'd have American flags and they would have all these signs and posters, Welcome home, Dad. It was one of the coolest experiences I ever had because the the terminal was completely silent. And that first soldier walked through those doors with his backpack on and his camo outfit on. And everybody, I didn't have a relative showing up that day, but everybody was there. (laughs) Welcome home. And it was amazing to see 
The little girls and the little sons run up to their dad and jump into the arms of someone that they had not seen for so long because he meant so much to them. That is exactly the picture of what Jesus is teaching. I wonder what the gates of heaven are going to be like when you get there. The passage is teaching investing your money for eternity. What's the welcoming committee going to be like when I get there? Am I going to walk into heaven with nobody even aware that I'm there? Or will there be people there with great anticipation just waiting to tell me about the time when I gave that little bit extra, the time that I served that little bit more? Have the wisdom to invest for eternity and not in this thing that moth and dust can corrupt. What's the welcoming committee going to be like when you get there? Will there be a bus kid that comes up to you and tugs on your your clothes there and say, you know, you gave money and my parents weren't Christians. My parents didn't go to church. But because of what you gave, Diesel got put into a bus. And that bus picked me up and brought me to church every week. And I did not live in a good home. I did not live in great circumstances. My father cussed and my mother drank. And yet you, because of your giving, have made an eternal impact on my life. Will there be anybody there like that? Will there be anybody that comes up to you and says, you know, I fell on some hard times and, and I, I couldn't make ends meet. We were discouraged. Honestly, we were questioning whether even God cared about us. And yet your church came and wrapped their arms around us and helped us out get groceries and and buy clothes for the kids. And the church could only have done that because you gave. What will your welcoming committee be? See, this man prepared for the future. It's not a difficult passage to interpret. You interpret it easily. Have the wisdom to know that the best conversion rate you'll ever receive is when you take something that the Bible calls unrighteous mammon. And it converts to something that is gloriously eternal. It's the best conversion rate you'll ever know. What do we learn from this man? Well, we learn that the boss can always look at the books. We learn that people watch the way we use our money. And we learn that even wisdom can be gleaned from a person of this world who invests for the future.